version of Aberdeen Crew doing Beyonce's Put a Ring on It in leotard and fishnet tights and stilettos is a vision that I find very hard to scrub from my brain. My name's Anne Scott, I'm currently Lifeboat Operations Manager at Lucky Lifeboat Station and previously I was Area Fundraising Manager for the North of Scotland and the Highlands and Islands. My earliest memory of the RNLI was probably Cromarty Lifeboat. My, my dad, Ian Jack, was mechanic at Cromarty Lifeboat and I remember sitting in a, a relative's house waiting for him to come home from a, a shout. I was probably about four years old, at the, four or five years old at the time. And I remember desperately trying to keep my eyes open, waiting for my dad to come back. The family connection with Aaron and I started with my Uncle John, who, um, following the Mona disaster in Brotty Ferry, joined Brotty Ferry crew. So he actually joined the Aaron and I before my dad did. Um, and... Uh, I don't know if they ever had a conversation or, or that, but shortly after that, um, my dad joined the RNLI as, as well as what was then called Reserve Mechanic. So he would go all over the, the UK in that um, with different classes of lifeboats. He served in Wales and Wick, Scrabster and all the rest of it. So that's that's as far back as that generation um, connection goes and when Cromarty Lifeboat closed we as a, a family moved to Aberdeen because he took over um, as mechanic in Aberdeen Lifeboat in 1966. Mum and uh, other ladies like her would do the collection boxes and sell souvenirs at Hazelhead Park. Uh, another early memory that I have from Aberdeen is the Lifeboat Ball. That was a huge social event and not just the RNLI calendar, the Aberdeen calendar. And uh, remember mum and dad getting all dressed up to, to go to Aberdeen Lifeboat Ball, which was a, a huge, um, I suppose a way of saying thank you to the crew as well, because although they probably hated it at the time, they were paraded to their, their table um, and they probably cringed at the thought of it. But it was a nice way for, for the population of Aberdeen to say thank you to their lifeboat crew. And for the wives as well, because the wives are a huge support because they're the ones that are staying at home looking after the family and they are the ones that worry about everybody coming back. So um, support of families is hugely important to the crew. We didn't really speak about the, the rescues and that. It wasn't until years later that I heard about some of the most traumatic rescues that they'd gone through. Um, I think that's probably because we were all young at the time. It's be protecting the family from what, what they were doing. Uh, and Dad was actually awarded the silver medal for a, a really um, bad rescue of a fishing boat, the Netta Crone. Thankfully, they, they saved um, people, but I was actually out on a, an exercise with Peter Head lifeboat, and it was my first time being on a lifeboat when it was pitch black, with no point of reference at all. You couldn't see lights anywhere. And I remember coming back to my dad and saying, gosh, I can only imagine how you must have felt being on the lifeboat 
that night when he went out to rescue the Netta Crone. And he says, yeah, but it was fine and warm. And the reason it was fine and warm was the Netta Crone was on fire. And, and that, I think that's sort of the mentality of lifeboat crew. You know, it's, yeah, that that's what we do. You know, we go out and rescue people from a, a fishing boat that's on fire. But it wasn't until years after that that we've, we heard some of the stories of the, the shouts that he went to and meeting up with, um, sadly, lately, friends of um, ex-crew members at um, funerals of ex-crew members. And they... They'll remember the really traumatic rescues that they've been on. And one that comes up time and time again was a young um, schoolboy who'd um, gone over the cliffs just outside Aberdeen. And sadly, the, the lifeboat wasn't able to to save that that person. And it, it's something that goes right through the RNLI. They always remember the one that they couldn't save. And I think that's that's very true. But at the time, we weren't aware of any of that. I think probably Dad protecting us from, from that. A position for an admin assistant came up for the offices at that time were in Edinburgh. So I went for that and got it. And it, it seemed, it sounds really, I don't know the, the word um, to say, but it just, it's, something I'd been probably training my whole life for was this job. Um, And and I remember saying at the time when I did get the job, I would do it for nothing, but I couldn't afford to do it for nothing. So that was, I I felt, yeah, it was that connection. And the RNLI is the only charity that I would ever work for. Um, And I was lucky enough a few years after I started as admin assistant a position came up as, at that time, it was an area organiser, which was um, the, the role of supporting our fundraisers in, in the uh, the area that I would cover. At that time, it was basically half of Scotland that I covered. And um, I always refer to it as the best bits because I covered places like Orkney, Shetland, Skye, Lewis and Harris and... Um, just uh, just touring um, all over the place, meeting wonderful, wonderful people and Scottish scenery. And it was just, for me, it was the, the dream job. And it was, I, I was never brave enough to, to be lifeboat crew. So it was my way of, yeah, I suppose, supporting what my dad was doing and before him, um, Uncle John and that as well, just doing my bit. But we often refer to the, the fundraisers as the, the beating heart of the RLI, and I think that's very true. And crews do realise that they couldn't do what they do without the, the support of the, the fundraisers. A, a huge diversity of, of backgrounds and, and skills as well. Um, that the Again, predominantly ladies um, would, would take there and... Um, my Inverness ladies, I used to refer to them as my ladies who launched because they were, they, they did things differently there and, and brought new events and new way of doing things. And plus their contacts as well was just amazing. And then um, up in Orkneys, the, the ladies of Westry and, and that, they would bring a very um, Orcadian feel to events. So it was very much the fundraising focused on 
local traditions in that as well, and doing it with with great humour a lot of time as well. So it was it was just good fun to be part of it. One big event that came about out of tragedy, um, sadly, was Aberdeen's Glamour Glitz and, and Bubbles. The lady who um, initially organised it, um, Audrey Wood, did it um, to, to thank the crews of the, the lifeboat stations in the Peterhead area because her son and fellow crew members were sadly lost in a helicopter disaster. So Audrey wanted to, to give something back to the RNLI to thank them for, for the way that they, they handled things and dealt and dealt with things and the way that they supported her personally after that. So she came up with the idea of glamour, glitz and bubbles. Um, it was meant to be a ladies afternoon. So if I say it, it probably started in the afternoon, but finished the next morning. That will give you some idea of the type of event it was. Um, it was meant to be a ladies' um, afternoon, Glamour, Glitz and Bubbles, but Aberdeen Lifeboat crew got heavily involved with it. And let's say that the vision of Aberdeen crew doing Beyonce's Put a Ring on It and leotard and fishnet tights and stilettos is a vision that... I find very hard to scrub from my brain. But again, this is the Aaron and I working together. Uh, fantastic events like that. And jump forward um, a few years and Audrey over that time raised enough to fund the new D-class at Aberdeen Lifeboat Station, which she named a memory of her son, Woody, and the, um, the disaster which um, spurred her on to do the fundraising. As a community manager or um, area fundraising manager, as I was then, I was, we were all home-based, so I was working from home. And I, I got to the stage where I felt that my work-life balance was suffering. So then I'm lucky enough to say, stay near to, to Bucky Lifeboat Station. So somebody suggested, why don't I come and work out of the lifeboat station? So it was great because I had that separation between home life and work life. So it was working really well. Too well, actually, because the coxswain then came to me and said, oh, you're at the lifeboat station most days. How do you fancy becoming launch authority? And then about three years after that, when the lifeboat operations manager, Joe Heard, retired, they saw it as a natural pr progression that I took over as lifeboat operations manager. So I've came down to the office and have been here ever since, really. <laughs> I covered well, about 20-odd lifeboat stations as a area fundraising manager. But when I took over Bucky Lifeboat Station um, operations manager, the crew became my crew. And it, it was... It was it's a change in perspective, really. Although, obviously, um, I cared deeply for the, the welfare of the crews that I covered or supported as um, area fundraising manager, as LOM, there's a, a deeper connection there. They're family. They're my responsibility. And it it just... Yeah, I feel as if I've been, become mum now to... 30 crew volunteers that they're not brave enough to call me granny yet so although if they did i think there'll be there'd be words <laughs> seeing everybody gel 
and come together when it matters is is very humbling um, and just being part, a small part of that um, I'm, I'm very proud to, to be a part of it. Hello, I'm Tom McGuire from Lockery Lifeboat Station. You've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org forward slash 200 voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Two Hundred Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.